0: Here comes the relief from the pain unapologetically this is lock and load with bill frady
3: Hour number three this is lock and load joining me now uh because he's been busy it's been a while since we actually got to talk in 2024. I don't know if you've even done it yet, but anyway, joining me now from Combat Speed LLC is Super Dave Harrington. Good afternoon, sir. Afternoon, Mr. Bill. How you doing? I'm I'm just trying to cope. I have uh, but but I, I have some questions for you because I think you probably know more about it than I do. Because when I was in the army, there was one sleeping bag. Do you remember that back in the day, back in the eighties and the nineties where there wasn't, there wasn't a, you know, the sleeping bag, it was one piece and, and that's what you got. There was no sleep system, for example. Right. And exactly. na- nowadays, exactly. the, the equipment, it, I, I'm not sure if it's lighter or not, but it seems like it's a little more well thou- thought out. And it seems like they've gotten past Vietnam with it. So I wanted to talk about the more mo- or at least the equipment that you've worked with. And I want to start with the, the sleep system. And what was the most modern sleep system you dealt with when you were in the military?
2: Well, we had an inner and outer, basically what's called, a you know, the inner bag. Then, like, the outer shell for the bag. Right. And then they had started to phase in. I didn't get any. I didn't get one or get any of this type of gear, but they were phasing in these little uh one-man sleep hooches. right? Like a one-man hooch. Like a low, little you know, low to bag, the ground. A BB bag. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but the thing about it is, um... Even when I was in the service, just because they issued it didn't mean I had to use it. Right. I always used my own sleep gear. Okay. Uh, So I had my own, like, civilian system, I guess. Okay. as, As you would
3: call it. Now, was that lighter?
2: Oh, yeah, much lighter uh much better temperature range for the I, I actually had two bags um, the inner bag was kind of a I would say a warm weather bag right but then the shell for that was a cold weather shell you know what I mean so you can put the put the inner in the outer and and you would be insulated very well insulated right you know and uh, But the one thing I've always done is carry a simple tarp, you know, like a six-by-eight tarp. Right. To build my own little windfall boot. See, it's okay to, you know, to try to stay dry. And that's okay because, you know, if you expect to be operating in inclement weather, you're going to be prepared for that. But the biggest thing is, even if it's just light rain, light mist, um, you gotta keep the wind off of you. Right. So there's, you know, a simple lean to, uh, is huge when it comes to, you know, maintaining your, uh, or regulating the body temperature, you know? Right. So, the, uh, I, I never got wrapped around the axle on, you know, using the army's gear because even that sleeping bag, I mean, the thing was huge rolled up, right. and it took up way too much room
3: in your rucksack anyway. Right. Yeah. So so you wound what, up, what, what was the temperature the outside? What was the temperature range of the bag that you had? Uh, if I
2: remember right, it was uh, actual it was actually uh, the name of the bag was a Ranger bag, uh, and it was. Um, Way more than I actually needed. Uh, I never, I only think I slept in it once. Right. Cause it was like it had a, I don't know man, a way negative zero coverage for cold weather. Right. Cause that's what, that's what I bought it for. But I really never worked in a cold weather environment. Now that's not to say it can't get cold in the desert because the high desert, uh, a lot of people get fooled. You know, you talk about going to the desert and you're thinking, oh, wow, hot and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, it can exceed a hundred degrees during the day, but it can certainly plunge below freezing at night. And that's what catches a lot of people. Right. Uh but uh, we used to work when I was in the Seventh uh, Light Infantry Division at Fort Ord, California. We used to do a lot of work. Uh, oh man, what was the name of that place down south of um, Fort Hunter Liggett? Was it was the training area, right? And it was a high desert environment. And I specifically remember one day uh, we were, you know, out on a two week uh, field. Uh, deal and it was like 104 during the day and we were having uh heat casualties right uh, because of the heat and then the next day we were having cold weather casualties because it got down to something like uh 20 degrees that night right and guys weren't prepared for it you know what I mean? Yep that's a, that's a wide swing. You know that's why they call it training. But the environment that you're in, you definitely need to do your homework. Uh, not only on the environment that you live in, but the environment that you plan on, you know, winding up in or operating in or whatever. Uh, because the weather can, you know, go to extremes in some places.
3: Well the the actual. Uh key i always thought because i did a lot of very extreme cold weather stuff in in europe because right. we had a lot of extreme cold weather and we just had the one sleeping bag which was the gigantic i guess temperate bag right and i mean back yeah. then we we had they had not figured out the science and we were just sort of expected to to find a way to make it work without having ways delivered to us right and right. we did, but at the same time, the, the, the equipment we like, the two shelter, and we're going to talk about tents or shelters in the next little bit, and in the next segment, just to see what your thoughts are on this. But the old two-shelter-half tent, that was not exactly, uh, I mean, I don't know when that one came out. That was World War Two era. Okay. <laughs> Where well, you and your money each had a half. Yeah, but we certainly got our money's worth out of that one. Right. Because the first time I went to the field was in the black forest of you in in Germany. And we had me and my other private buddy. We had to pitch our tent in the snow. And the next morning we had to beat our way out of being buried in the snow, although the tent held up. tent held up just fine. But uh, yeah, that was not exactly this was not exactly a sealed tent against the uh, cold, uh, cold air. But, yeah, gear, I I think gear nowadays, and I'm I'm interested, I I found it very interesting what you said about the sleeping bag, where you went to the lighter weight civilian counterpart, which makes a whole lot of sense to me, and I'm going to ask, I've got a couple more questions about that before we move on to the tent. Uh, Combat Speed LLC is back up and running. If you want to, uh, he, he's now doing, he's, he's about to set up uh, classes and everything else, and if you want to check out and see what's going to be available in your area, or if you want to sign up for one, very shortly the website will be able to accommodate you. He's also back on uh, Facebook, S. Dave Harrington. You should go sign, you know, go friend him on Facebook. You can find out what he's got going on. You might get a guitar riff. You might get to see, uh, see his, uh, some of his outdoor vehicles that are meant to, uh, you know, that he runs. Runs for the hills in, in the non-existent hills of Florida. Anyway, we'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. And welcome back. This is lock and load, and I'm talking to Super Dave Harrington from Combat Speed LLC. Before we go get into the tents, now as far now I know how much space the old temperate sleeping bag took up, and it was considerable. We couldn't put right. it. In, we we had the uh, we didn't have the big rucksacks. We had like the the medium sized rucksacks. So we what? probably if if we were going to carry it all on our back, we had to strap it to the top of it. It would not fit in the rucksack. How big was the sleeping bag you were using as far as how much space it took up the way you packed it?
2: Uh, it, had, yeah, it had its own uh, compression stack. Right. So I could uh, compress it basically into about the size of a soccer ball. Right. Wow. Okay. I would say I would say no bigger than a, maybe a little smaller, maybe a volleyball size uh, package, and it was you know back in that day for the room that we had to work with in the in the large rucksack, uh, that was uh, very compact, small and compact. You know what I mean, right? But uh, another. Uh, thing I used to always carry and I happen to have in my hand at this point because I was discussing another aspect of this thing is um, usT uh, survival reflect tent a little shelter that's uh it's an all-weather emergency protection right tent and it's like uh, you know 56 um Wide, 96 long. It weighs like 5.2 ounces, but it folds out into a triangular tent. Right. And it's made of that, you know, bright, shiny material that reflects heat or tracks heat. And I've always kept one of those uh, in my rucksack. And I got this one out. I dug this one out of my gear for another project I was discussing with a guy was, uh, how do you hide your heat signature? You know, how do you, how do you hide from thermal, uh, imaging? And I don't know. Now this was 20, 20 years ago. Right. Maybe, uh, but you know the survival blankets, right? That you know the, the bright shiny material. The survival blanket is the same thing that this tent is made out of. That traps your heat, body heat, would also block your heat signature from clear, you no know, forward-looking infrared, right? Um. But I don't know how you have to do your own, you know, testing against legit thermal. And thermal imaging is so much everything. I mean, night vision, thermal gear, you name it. Anything electronic that we had 20 years ago is, like, to the 20th power now better than what we had. You know what I mean? It's just unbelievable the, the weaponry and stuff guys have to work with today.
3: Yeah. It, it's it amazing. Has, I, and, you know, the thing that I really question about that part of it is that all that time we were there and everything, we were going through, uh, you know, like when I was in Europe, the stuff worked, but, I mean, it could have been so much better. And there was no movement at all in refining that as far as i saw and the entire time i was in the military the only piece of equipment that i ever saw get refined was the uh the m16 we went to the a2s which i didn't really count that as a refinement i did like the handguard better on the a2 but you know that was when we went right. to the three shot burst which i thought was a stupid thing to get to
2: right but um, but you know why nothing there was no reason to uh progress anything right it was peacetime. We'd because we, it was a peacetime army. Yeah. There was no push to, uh, there was no uh, life-saving emphasis on the kit and equipment we were using. You know,
3: so. That sort of seems to me, though, but that, that sort of seems to me that that would be the time to be getting out there and testing things and doing things instead of waiting till we get into combat and saying, oh, well, this doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you would think that,
2: but what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah Reality is harsh.
3: It sometimes. is. It is harsh. So let's talk tents now, like I was talking about with the two shelter halves. Now they have these, uh, these one piece tents that you just pop up. You've got an outer exoskeleton. It's got a bathtub, uh, floor in it and it has a fly in it. And sometimes they have four, three season, four seasons and they're all single man tents and they're very small. Did you ever use any of those? No, I didn't. No? No. You talked about a tarp. Did, did you like to sleep under tarps? Yeah, I just made a lean-to.
2: Yeah. The uh, I always kept this one thought in mind. I never... I don't like to be restricted under any circumstances. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, especially in the environments and in the, in the purpose in which... You know, I'm working. Why would I want to encase myself in in all this stuff? You know what I mean? You know, strip down, get into a sleeping bag, get that sleeping bag inside of some small one-person hooch. You can't even, you know, you got enough room to stick your nose out so you can breathe. Um. Well, you know, what are you going to do when you need to immediately go to work now you got to get yourself out of all that and get up and ready to rock. You know what I mean. None right. of that ever made none of that ever made sense to me. And I would say about eighty uh, percent of the time, all I ever used uh, from a sleeping standpoint was uh, a poncho liner. You know, a poncho and a poncho liner. That's right. it. You know, have those two married up. And that was what I used to uh, keep myself comfortable with while I slept. Because then all I got to do is wake up, roll that up, stuff that
3: my ruck can go. Well, as long as it works that way. I mean, that, that and I've, I've seen people talk about their sleeping system, and, uh, and we'll probably run out of time before I can say this. So I'll just hold this up. But, um, Super Dave Harrington, you can find him at Combat Speed, LLC. You can also find him on Facebook at S. Dave Harrington. Find out where he's got gigs going on. Find out what's coming up next in the uh, in in the Super Dave world. I know some of the things he's doing on the side. I'm not going to talk about them. He'll talk about them later, but uh, a lot of stuff coming down the pike. He is f- so far from done. He's nowhere near it. And we will be right back talking gear with Super Dave Harrington from Combat Speed. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Load.
0: USA News Update. Houthi militants in Yemen retaliate, and the U.S. says it has shot down a missile fired by the rebels at one of the nation's warships in the Red Sea. It's the first such attack since U.K. and U.S.-led airstrikes on the Iran-backed group began late last week. The U.S. and U.K. still working together to combat the Houthi fighters, who have been attacking international shipping in the region for months.
1: Is the risk of doing nothing greater than the risk of doing these strikes, which could, in theory at least, lead to some further escalation?
0: Former U.K national security advisor and ambassador to the un mark lyle grant the seventh annual primetime emmy awards are finished with the show succession taking the most nominations winning six including for outstanding drama series we want to thank hbo um uh, this wasn't necessarily an easy show to commission right at the very beginning jesse armstrong accepted the award on behalf of the cast and crew i'm ryan daniels usa news
1: Force. you the marasino cherry <laughs> okay twenty-five thousand cheering next drive.
0: now you want to try that on television
1: well you see radio is a very special medium because it stretches the imagination advertising your business
0: with gcn is simple effective and more affordable than you might think visit advertise.gcnlive.com for more info take your business to the next level
3: back this is Lock and low talking to super dave harrington from combat speed llc and talking gear and uh, one thing that i noticed is that for a lot of people nowadays when we're talking sleep system and or shelter a lot of guys have gone to this uh, thing where they get out there and they've got all of that cold weather clothing on Right, and then they do exactly what you were just talking about with tarp and uh, uh, a liner and everything. But they've got the cold weather gear on, which is much more insulating than the stuff that we used to have. And they sleep right. in that with that on, and then they just, if they just kick that off, then they are ready to go because they're already in uniform. Um, exactly. Did you ever use any of those cold weather systems for for, for uh, uniforms? Yeah, yeah,
2: I sure did. We had the spear system, right? What was called the spear system. And I still have the majority of all that gear because, uh, it's an army regulation somewhere, uh, that anything that, you know, a soldier wears, uh, next to their body, next stays to their well, skin. Yeah. 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 yeah they, they, they keep it. Um, so I have the spear system, uh, you know, the only downside to it is I don't recall it ever being in any kind of camo. It was all black. Right. But you had, um, like silk, uh, long johns, bottoms and tops, you know, uh, then, uh, your, uni- your uniform layer, then there was another lighter, um, pants and jacket type, uh, piece, the, the middle piece. And then, of course, you had the over pants and the uh, parka kind of a thing. And it was outstanding. Uh, you could wear or mix and match or do whatever you wanted to with the spear system and pretty much be covered uh, for, you know, covered down on uh, any kind of inclement weather or cold weather Um but, again, I will reinforce the fact that I never, you know, I was in um, first group, which was uh, operational area of uh, Middle East, uh, you know, PACOM, the Pacific Rim. Right. And I was in third group, which was uh, Africa. Now, it's not to say, you know, it can't get cold in either place. It's just, it's not like I ever did anything in Europe where I had to operate in sustained, like, deep winter circumstances. Right. And I, I was, I guess, now that I think about it, I was fortunate to avoid that
3: completely. Right. Well, but, I mean, when you start talking about the desert, you got to be fairly flexible when you're in the desert, because, like you, you said... Um, you know, the desert's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Heat injury during the day and cold weather injury during the night. Exactly. So that, that was going to be a, that, that, that's a, I mean, that means you're carrying a lot of stuff, doesn't it? You got to carry a lot of stuff for that.
2: It's, um, you can actually become a gear junkie pretty quick. If, um, you know, you don't have the experience to get by Use you know, make every, make maximum use out of every piece of gear you carry. Otherwise, you know, I've, I've either been in the, uh, light infantry as far as combat arms. Right. I was in the light infantry on my feet. Uh, I've never been a part of a mechanized unit or anything like that. It's been all light infantry and, uh, special forces. So, uh, I pretty much spent my career on my feet under a rucksack. Right. So I had things pretty well metered out. As far as, uh, you know, something that we are overlooking that I do want to mention is you can only be as prepared as possible. You still have to have the intestinal fortitude to suck it up. Right. You know, when the suck factor is going through the roof you know when the suck meter is pegged out right uh you gotta put up with it you know and go for it but the the smarter you are about your kit and equipment and how you employ it
3: the better off you'll be yeah well that's that's the thing i mean uh and you 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 put you put out a good point about well I got issued a lot of stuff but I didn't carry a lot of it and that's where the smarts come in you got to be able to look at where you're going what you're going to be doing uh, a smart right. person would take into consideration what time of year it is like springtime in Europe is rainy season right right and uh, exactly. fall in Europe is rainy season but then the the rainy season goes get, goes away like in early September and becomes the snowy season. Right, and you've got to be able to make that switch. Now, I was always in mechanized infantry, so I had a vehicle to where I could carry some extra stuff. But I still, you know, mm-hmm. despite I had more space and everything on it, I didn't have to to walk it. Uh, I did. Uh, I was. I had three or four people in the vehicle with me that I had to make space for as well. But I was in charge of the vehicle, so I could. Uh, you know, I could right. say what they could and couldn't have, and uh, but that was. about uh, Yeah, I, I did not. Uh, I didn't. I didn't abuse that position too much. So, right. In any event, one thing I would like to put emphasis on. Sure.
2: About personal kit and equipment. Right. If you have, uh, I mean, whether you're in the military or not, military is much better about it now than they ever have been in the history of the military. But uh, even for the civilians out there that are into orienteering and hiking and climbing and all that kind of stuff, where you're outdoors a lot, the best and probably most expensive piece of gear you should have or have invested in or your boots or whatever you, you have on your feet right that's protecting your feet and providing support for your ankles. Right. Even if even if you don't like wearing like high boots or like a military style boot that has um, they I don't know, the way they measure them is like seven inches or ten inches high. And I don't know what they're measuring that from, maybe the floor or the the ground. But, uh, high quality foot gear that provides ample ankle protection. The, uh, cannot put enough emphasis on that. Right. And as a matter of fact, this, I found this out, uh, several years ago. I, I needed, uh, I was going hog hunting down south, but right here, South Florida, legit. And I went and bought me a nice set of snake boots. Right. Well, the snake boots come up and completely, you know, protect your calf and they end. The top of the boot is basically just under your knee. Well, I have always had the idea that a good combat boot would provide that same level of coverage and protection
3: of your calves, ankles, and feet. Hold you it right? Saying? Hold up, right there. We're talking about boots. We're going to get back to that because boots are very, very very important that's uh you know i will attest to that i'll tell why when we get back combat speed llc that is the uh, that that is the vehicle that mr harrington here drives this is where he teaches you how to be a gunfighter and uh you can find out more information by going to his facebook page s dave harrington befriend him and find keep tabs on what's going on with that we'll be right back this is lock and load
2: What kind of help does the IRS have for identity theft victims?
4: If you suspect you're a victim of tax-related identity theft, go to irs.gov slash identity theft to learn how to prevent potential refund fraud and protect your tax account. At the IRS, combating tax-related identity theft is a top priority, and we are committed to prevention, detection, and assisting victims, and we're working with law enforcement to catch the criminals. For more info, go to irs.gov slash identity theft to learn what the IRS is doing to help protect you.
1: When I was a kid, I wanted to be just like Cal Ripken. It's definitely humbling to know that now people are calling me a hero. Instead of finding the IED with my metal detector, the IED found me first, and that resulted in double-above-knee amputations. It's hard to describe the feeling of meeting somebody that you've always wanted to be like. There are people now that are looking up to you for their inspiration and to be their role model.
5: Visit SaluteHeroes.org to learn more.
3: This is Lock and Load. This is the last time on the firing line talking to Super Dave Harrington from Combat Speed. We were talking boots, and I had to interrupt you. So go back to talking about some boots. I'll tell you my boot story after you tell me yours.
2: Well, I was pretty much done, man, but Mm -hmm. I will reinforce the point that, uh, you know, I I think uh, it would be prudent that those in the position of – Engineering footgear or combat boots for the you know all forces, all right. U.S. forces. Right. Uh, they should look at the the type of coverage and materials that are used to uh, make snake boots. Because, I mean, if you think about it, think about all the lower extremity injuries that you take. Uh, From secondary projectiles, you know, secondary projectiles that are generated by uh, explosive devices, blah, blah, blah. And you could probably cut down on injuries quite a bit if, um, you know, the actual combat boot provided protection from the knees down. Right. Anyway, that's all. That's just my two cents on that. Go ahead.
3: So even though I was in mechanized infantry, we had this insane uh, commemorative thing we did where my unit during uh, World War One had made this headlong retreat out of the Vogue Mountains uh, in Belgium as the Germans were chasing them out. So to commemorate that once a year, we would march road march back from Grafenvere to Bomberg in Germany. Which I can't remember which it was. I suspect it was the lower number, but I think it was either 115 or 135 miles in three days. So I think it was probably 115. Right. Now, even at 115 miles, if you did not have a good pair of boots and if you did not plan, like, you know, you needed three pairs of socks during the day. Oh, yeah. Easy. So we needed to have three pairs of socks. We needed to get a really good fitting pair of boots. And it was uh, I mean back in those days we had to polish our boots. We had black leather boots, right? Remember that? And oh yeah. The German the German black leather boots that we were allowed we were authorized to wear were so much better for marching of that type than than the Cochrane jump boots, than the uh the issue boot. I don't remember. I, I don't remember what else was available to us though on the American side from either the issue boot, the Cochran jump boot, or the jungle boot. Right, and that one just—that's that, 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 not a marching boot. The jungle boot's not a marching boot. So out of all it's a jungle boot, yeah. Nowadays, uh-huh. nowadays I either wear danners or Solomon's. Right, and I, I, I like the danners because they're very well put together. But I like the Solomon's because they're sort of like a hybrid between a. Um, a basketball shoe and a combat boot. Right. And uh, they, they give lots of support, but they don't weigh as much. And any, any, I mean, uh, boots are absolutely, that is a, that's a piece of equipment that you have got to spend some money on. You can get away. I yeah. Mean, I can, yeah. I think you can be a little cheaper on some of the other stuff, but boots, that's one of the things you don't want to skimp on.
2: That's, that's fact. Yeah. You got to take care of your feet. Yep. Period. And that's with the boots. Uh, your socks are just as important yep. as your boots. Yep. You know, you go, uh, you know, spend uh, three hundred dollars on a pair of boots, and then you're wearing a pair of five cent socks. Yep. That, you know that, that don't make sense. So, you know.
3: When you fit and your feet is a function of your socks and your boots. And when you fit that boot, you don't want to have a lot of movement when you put that on. You want to put on your sock that you're gonna be is gonna be your biggest marching sock because you need a thick, nice, padded, wicking, breathing, padded sock. Put that on. Put on the boot, and if it's snug enough, but at the same time it's not pinching you anywhere or compressing you anywhere, that's your boot. Or at least
2: that's what I found. Well, true, and that's that's a good start point, but you still need a, you know, a viable break-in period. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So,
3: very few are going to actually. I mean, like the uh, the way I found, figured out how to break in the Danners is I start out lacing them loose, and then each yep. and every time I start, every, every time I put them back on, the next time I lace them a little tighter, a little tighter, a little tighter, and then it's right. it's a very fine boot. But I mean. And nowadays, for a pair of boots, what do you think? Between one hundred and eighty and two hundred fifty bucks, and that's probably the minimum price of admission.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, yeah. I would probably bump it up to at least three hundred because yeah. the pair, the pair of cold weather boots that I just bought were like two hundred seventy bucks. Yeah. Well, what kind of what kind of boot was that? But they're Danners. Okay. But um, they are like for deep cold. Uh, They're deep, cold weather boots. I I bought them for hunting, deer hunting. Right. Simply because, um, you know, you get out in the bush and you go static for hours on end. Yep. uh, Without, you know, a lot of movement involved, uh, your feet are going to suffer. Yep. But I took care of that.
3: I would imagine an ex-military guy would be a very, very pesky deer hunter for the deer because uh, military guys know how to embrace misery.
2: Oh, yeah. They know how Uh, to sit there
3: and just suffer
2: quietly. I've been known to stack them up like Ford would. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Deer. I love deer hunting. Yeah. What's your deer hunting weapon?
2: Um... Believe it or not, I either use a, I've got a BAR in 30-06. <laughs> yeah. That I, I use, um, for when I have anything, say, 200 yards a, and beyond. Right. But my favorite brush gun for deer is a Harrington and Richardson uh, single shot break action, 12 gauge slug gun. Okay. Uh, with a rifle bore, And of course I do have a, uh, it's a specific, you know, shotgun slug scope. Right. And, uh, that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think that would be a big deal, but, uh, based on the energies that are created by a twelve gauge slug and blah blah blah. Uh you want to make sure that you do use a shotgun scope. Uh, but it's just a single shot slug gun. And I've got a crimson trace, uh I want to say it's a brush line something scope. Slugger scope. Right. Uh, It has a shotgun slug BDC reticle that's graduated in 25 meter increments. So you start with a, (laughs) (coughs) excuse me, you start with a 50 yard zero. Right. And I want to say the, I don't know how far out the actual BDC runs. Probably four or five hundred yards, but you're really not going to shoot beyond probably two or three hundred yards with it. And then, for a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are probably going, "Whoa, he's out of his mind!" Well, your skill has everything to do with your ability to hit. Right. With what you're using to hit with. So you know, I have no problem uh, from an ethical standpoint of making the decision to engage a deer at say 200 yards, right? With with this with this setup.
3: Well, we'll have to get into uh, that next time. We're about to run out of time here. I do want to ask that? this before we do. Do you carry a secondary weapon just in case of other predators while you're out there deer hunting?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I wear a uh, G20 ten millimeter
3: in a chest rig. That's God's caliber, isn't it? Ten millimeter,
2: or uh, any type of uh, two or four-legged critter, yes. Yeah. Ten millimeter is a flat-out standing fork. There you go.
3: Thank you for joining if, me today. You're so, using
2: the proper loads. Yeah,
3: yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Mister Bill. Yes, sir. As for me, I'll be back on Monday. Between now and then, remember this. It has never been about gun control. Not once. Not ever. It has been, and it's always going to be, about total control. Carry your weapon everywhere you can. This has been Lock and Load.